Welcome to Eurodollar University with Jeff Snyder. My name is Emil Kalinowski. We're joined by special guest Stephen Van Meter. Steve, the biggest news was at the end of the week, the payrolls report in the United States was very, very good. And that may have surprised people. In fact, it surprised all the analysts who predicted a somewhat lesser rosy payrolls report. And this changes things, at least in the mainstream narrative. We're going to get to what the underlying currents really are saying. But mainstream, what is the news? What's the outlook? Yeah, it's interesting, Bill, because one of the most anticipated economic reports, which I think is probably one of the most worthless economic reports, is a non-farm payroll report. But literally, you have analysts, money managers, investors around the world just sitting on the tips of their toes waiting for this because somehow it tells you that things aren't what the other data is telling you. If you look at the weekly unemployment claims, which have been slowly, steadily rising, you would think, okay, well, it has to translate into non-farm payrolls. And of course, the experts predicted that we would see around 250,000 gains. So we'd see a deceleration in growth, which makes sense to me. But then you get this big number, you know, over 500,000. And all of a sudden, boy, the, the equity bulls are out, the bond bears are back. And it's very simple. This now tells the Fed, and we did hear from you know uh, people relate tied to the Fed that this is what they needed to see: a strong labor market. We need to cool this thing off. September now becomes a lock, not for just maybe a quarter basis point hike, but at least a seventy-five basis point because something is not right here. The labor market is not responding to tight financial conditions. So if that's not going to work, well, then we need to tighten more. Tells me. September is now big in play in a big way. Right, because the latest inflation reading is still for two months ago, right? June, that was the last report. And that was still 9.1% CPI increase year over year. Now we have a strong labor market. It, well, strong, it, growing, suggesting we're back in the 1970s and the Fed has plenty of room to go before any sort of slowdown takes place, any sort of recession, because that was in the news that are you concerned about the recessions? Shouldn't you be walking this back? After the last 75 basis point increase, the 10-year yield fell as opposed to rising as it had risen with each of the previous increases, the 25 basis point, the 50 basis point. But then this recent 75 basis point increase, the most recent one, complete disagreement from the bond market because recession was on the doorstep. Not anymore. I suppose. Jeff, you wrote an article. Where did you write this article? Many people may not know that you and Steve are working together. And this article is available on the website that the two of you are running with Tracy as well. So it's called Same Labor, Different Worlds. You just wrote it. Where can people find this? And then we're going to dive into the details behind the headline numbers. And maybe not everything that we hear in the mainstream media is what's actually in these numbers. Well, you can find the article, Emil, at Markets Insider Pro. That's marketsinsiderpro.com, where you can sign up with your email, get a, get a, a taste of it for free for a limited time before it becomes a subscription-based service. And there's all sorts of stuff there. Steve's got a mark, his Momentum Timer Pro. Tracy has some oil and gas energy reports. I've got my macro data, money analysis, curve analysis, and everything else, including these payroll reports, as well as talking about the bond market's reaction to it, which in some ways was as schizophrenic as the labor data was. The bond market 
the two-year yield, the front end of the curve steepened. You saw the two-year treasury note yield rise. I think it was 23 basis points, 21 basis points yesterday. But the 10-year yield only rose 15, which means that, yes, the short end of the curve was forced up by exactly what you guys were talking about. You know, the Fed's going to hike rates more aggressively. They're clear for another rate hike at least because there's nothing on the horizon, at least in the mainstream sense of everything. So the front of the curve steepened, but there was still that resistance in the back end to the point that the difference between the two and 10, that two, 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 10 spread is now a ridiculous 41 basis points inverted, which is in, in anybody's rational mind outside of the academy or outside of the Federal Reserve who continue to argue inversion isn't what it clearly is. That's still recession. So the market is still saying, despite this payroll report, despite the fact that the Fed now has a clear runway to continue its rate hikes in the short term, the yield curve itself says nah, nothing really has changed here, despite the, the blowout payroll report for the month of July. Steve, have you talked about on your channel the inversion, the depth of it and how deep it is compared to previous inversions? Are we approaching that level in 2000? I think that was the deepest. Well, good question, Mill. I don't, we don't talk about the depth of it. We talk about on my show what that signal means. And we, mm. we look at it compared to the equity market and compared to the bond market, uh, mainly for the equity bulls to say, hey, the party may go a little bit longer, but the DJ is running on his last play set and somebody's starting to clean up a little bit around here. But the bond market <laughs> is saying, hey, you've had this big sell-off. Everyone now has you know, dumped all their bonds. They're not interested anymore. But this is a time that you really want to look at it because if the yield curve is right and is right frequently and you pair that with just research on the euro dollars futures curve, which is also inverted, it tells us the Fed's going to be cutting likely by the end of the year, September, if based on this payroll report and what we get next month, may be the last hike. And then all of a sudden they slam this car in reverse and interest rates are going to go down and bond prices are going to go screaming higher. Jeff, you started this article talking about 2019, not 2022. And so for the rest of this conversation, we're going to talk about the payroll report, the headline one that we're all told to follow. The current population survey is the other one, the household survey. That one I didn't hear mentioned once on Bloomberg. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, Surprising. No. And we're going to talk about both. What is the payroll report, the current employment statistics report, tell us today, can we make any analogies to 2019? And then compare it to that other survey that we didn't hear a word about, which is the household survey. So starting out, you start your article by taking us back in time to 2019, May 2019. What did we hear then? We heard that the labor market was incredibly strong. Another blowout payroll report. We had, you know, early 2019, January, February, March. February in particular had been sort of a weak payroll report. There's all sorts of indications the economy was getting weaker. The yield curve was inverted, not at the two tens, but more in the front. Euro dollar futures had been inverted. So widespread fears of economic downturn and deceleration. And then we get to early May, I think it was May 3rd, 2019, the BLS comes out with its payroll report and it's huge. It's, it's almost 300,000. Remember back then, 300,000 was considered a blowout. So 269,000, I think was the preliminary estimate. And everybody said, okay, 
This Fed pause is working. The economy is recelerating again. We can all breathe a heavy sigh of relief. You know, risk assets, risk taking, all the all that was spread across financial markets. So the parallels are eerily similar, including the fact that as the uh, establishments are the CES accelerated into April of 2019, the household survey, the CPS was doing the opposite at the same time. It was saying, whoa, hold up here. Something is really wrong because the household survey for that four month period from the beginning of the year until April had actually been down by a pretty sizable number, which suggested the two payroll reports were going in opposite direction. It wasn't like they're kind of moving in the same direction, but to differing degrees. The establishment survey made it seem like the economy had recelerated. The Federal Reserve was clear maybe to start resuming rate hikes at some point, whereas the household survey said all that stuff that the market has been pricing, it's happening now. It's actually taking place. The, the economy is slowing down to the point where we might actually be shedding some jobs here. And it was sort of that schizophrenia, as you said, Emil, the, the, the data was schizophrenic, the markets were not, nor was the mainstream interpretation, which only relies upon the payroll report, which, as Steve said, there probably isn't a more worthless economic account out, out there, especially during these periods, because the establishment survey is designed to go in a straight line or as straight of a line as it possibly can. It's made to do that. It's made to not have as much variation. And so if you have this ups and downs, eventually it's going to want to go back to it's going to revert to a mean until at a later date, the BLS goes back and says, oh, by the way, there really was something there. We're going to revise all the data to show that there really was weakness that we didn't tell you that there was there at the time it actually happened. Steve, the comparisons are, as Jeff puts it, legion back then to now. People probably don't remember anymore, but in 2019, we were heading towards recession. We had yield curve inversions in the euro dollars futures market earlier last in 2018, and then in the treasury market as well, 2019. We were heading into a slowdown. The economists, the technocrats, the politicians, they were surprised. They thought we were going to have globally synchronized growth continuing. The Fed was performing actions that they were not expected to just previous, maybe a year ago, they were doing something different, similar to what's happening again today. Yeah. And that's what's interesting because uh, before the show uh, started, uh, Jeff and I were talking about this. And one thing I've noticed, and he you know, just said it moments ago that the non-farm payroll report is tries to smoothen itself out. And so you see these decelerations going into recessions. And all of a sudden, before the official recession, we, we see the marker happen. You see us pop in non-farm payrolls. It's almost like it just pops them back to the average. And it's baffling because you can see it happen every time. And this is at a time where if since the Fed is fixated on payrolls, that really, if the non-farm payroll report continued to decelerate, then perhaps the Fed, not paying any attention to the yield curve and all of its value that it gives them, would actually perhaps pull back on their plans. But instead, you get this statistical adjustment back up. And next thing you know, the Fed's like, oh, God, like, well, we thought we were making an impact on the markets. We thought things were slowing down. And now we have to go even more. It's like that last push of tightening policy kind of breaks the system because at that point, you get maybe one, two, at best, three more months of decent payrolls. And all of a sudden, then that downward trend is back. 
And I think that's what we're going to see here is, you know, next month will look relatively decent. September after that, it's going to slow down in the end year. And that's where you get your Fed reversal. Jeff, is it a conspiracy or is it incompetence or is it neither? Is it the model is simply designed to function in particular way and that's not appropriate for the time we're in? Yeah, I know. It seems like it. Oh, the, you know, it's, it's easy to fall into some kind of political conspiracy and say, oh, the government's just trying to, you know, it's the political pressure, the Biden administration or, you know, in 2019, the Trump administration is putting political pressure on the economists. That doesn't happen. These economists follow the rules. They're bureaucrats. They do what they're supposed to do. And by and large, the rules work. The rules actually do. There are just times when in a dynamic world we live in, those rules are unsuited for the circumstances. And the way that that works out, as Steve says, usually is surrounding these inflection points. And that makes a lot of sense when you understand how these statistics are actually put together. There's something called a trend cycle component, which is a subjective assumption that is applied to the data. And the trend cycle component basically pushes the thing upward in a straight line so long as the economists believe that trend or that cycle remains in place. And it's only afterward when they take a step back and say, oh, weakness really did show up that they revise everything and say that trend cycle we were pushing the establishment survey into, that's no longer the case. And so now we now we have to change our benchmarks. We have to change the way the monthly variation is calculated. And that's when you start to see re deep revisions and then the actual inflection in the data. It only happens afterward. So it's not conspiracy. It's not incompetence. It's just that in this particular statistic, unlike the CPS, because it is heavily smooth, because it's designed to go in essentially a straight line to picture essentially how you know the economy or to picture as if the economy moves in a steady state, it's not going to pick up inflections like household survey has and does and, and repeatedly does, not just like 2019. But as you alluded to, Emil, the household survey, it rose for July of 2022, but it didn't rise enough to offset the previous losses over two of the previous three months. So for a four month period now, uh, the household survey is down and it's down by the most since 2010. So unlike the establishment survey, the, the CPS or the household survey, which is allowed to move all over the place on a month to month basis, which is why people look at the establishment survey because they think the household survey is too noisy. But because it's not statistically smooth in the same way, it may be more susceptible, better able to pick up these inflection points. And what it's telling us, because this, it's now down on a four month basis, that's not likely to be some random statistical fluctuation. A four month period where the household survey is down is a significant enough decrease over a significant enough time that again, we find ourselves in this position where the establishment survey is doing something complete or they're going one direction where the household survey is actually in the complete opposite direction. Jeff, we put up that graph that you have in your article that shows the four month average and we can see, is it a four month sum or is it a four month average, Jeff? Four months. It's a cumulative. Sum. So it's, yeah, the sum. Yeah, it's cumulative. And we can see you've put nice boxes around there for us that when we've got negatives in this four month sum, that they seem to coincide with global slowdowns or idiosyncratic things such as government shutdowns. So, Jeff, is it that this is a separate organization that's conducting this survey? They have different methodology, and this survey is much more 
it's it's allowed to the reports are just simply allowed to take place as they are or i guess i'd like you to explain some more the trend cycle part that's the part that's key to this understanding for our audience the difference between the population survey and the employment statistics yeah the ces the establishment survey as the name implies is a survey i think of 120,000 establishments so every, I think it's every 12th of the month or whatever the date is, these establishments have to mail in uh, their survey panel of data to the BLS. And the BLS, you know, the, if anybody's late, they actually t- they call them on the phone and say, hey, where's your data? Anyway, it's 120,000. They look at the labor market from the business perspective, from the establishment perspective. And then they apply all sorts of statistical adjustments to it because they want this to be essentially the gold standard of labor market data. Whereas the household survey, as that name implies, is a survey of, I think, about 40 or 50,000, I think it's 50,000 now, households that doesn't have the same level of sophistication applied to it that the CES does for various reasons. I don't really know what they are, but for whatever reason, they don't apply the same sort of heavy-handed statistical uh, smoothing to the CPS that they do to the uh, establishment survey. And so it's allowed to move around. It's much more noisy on a month-to-month base, high-frequency basis than the CES because they don't want the CES to be that noisy. And the difference is, of course, that you know over time, the household survey people tend to not not, not pay as much attention to it because it is noisy. And so you think, okay, the one that goes in a straight line that's easier to interpret, it's in, easier to see. Whereas the one that's all over the might be, it might be up a lot one month and then sort of not up at all the next month, and you have to look at it sort of on, a, on an average basis. It's just much easier for especially the media to say, "Here's this nice straight line that moves around a little bit that can t- that can give us a what sounds like a very precise estimate of the labor market," when in fact it's not necessarily that that way. Steve, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, for, for me, I think the four-week moving average of initial claims smooths all of that out. It's a little easier to look at. It tells you kind of where things are likely to go. Um, and then when you start to realize, as Jeff talked about, that the non-farm payroll report was designed to do something very specific and move pretty slow, well, you can ignore these outline events and just keep an eye on what the weekly claims are telling you. What's next, Steve? What should we be looking out for next? Well, I'd, I'd be watching for a continued increase in unemployment claims because at that point it tells me, and and I'm also looking at that data, seeing how many of those people are coming back into the workforce. So if you start to see your total claims, state claims, initial claims all moving up, uh, that's a massive red flag. It's telling you that all these alleged jobs that are being created by the non-farm payroll report aren't actually happening. Um, for most people, actually see the household survey data is a lot harder because as we've talked about, Bloomberg doesn't report that. So uh, it's a little difficult for someone watching to say, well, where do I get that information from? Well, tune in to to this show. You'll find out for sure. Um, But otherwise, watch those initial claims. I think that's going to be the red flag uh, over the next couple of months that's going to see the non-farm pay report come way back down. People can go to the Bureau of Census or the Bureau of Labor Statistics. You'll find all the data there. Jeff, Steve just mentioned it. We didn't talk about it at all. The workforce, the labor force participation rate, how is that doing? We didn't even, that's, maybe that's the headline that we didn't even yeah. t- touch on yet. 
It's a, it's always a headline for me, as Steve just said, if the labor market's robust, people would be entering the labor force, especially since there is so many millions and millions and millions of Americans still on the sidelines. Forget what economists say about, you know, what they've been saying for the last decade about the participation problem and the excuses they've been trying to make for that we're all too lazy to go back to school or we're all addicted to heroin or whatever, whatever excuses they've come up with. Uh, now it's the great resignation. Everybody's on vacation in some island somewhere, you know, whatever it is. I, you know, I don't buy any of that stuff. And I don't think the labor market buys any, nor does the economy. And the labor force itself has, during the same four-month period that we see the household survey level of employment fall, the labor market has fallen further. In fact, it was down again in July for the third month out of the last four. Out of those four months, the labor force has declined by a substantial amount. I think it was over 450,000 or close to 450,000. That's an enormous decline when we're supposed to be hearing about how the labor market is accelerating. Um, no, I don't think so. And the real irony here, the final irony of the payroll reports is the unemployment rate. The unemployment rate, people may not realize, is actually drawn from the household survey, not the establishment survey. And what that means is the household survey is given because the level of employment rose a little bit in July, but the labor force shrunk, which meant that the the BLS actually took a lot of people out of the what they categorize as unemployed because they're no longer looking for work. Some of them found a job, but some of them are no longer looking for work. The unemployment rate actually improved, even though the household survey overall, on the whole, actually got worse. So it's basically the same problem we've had with the unemployment rate for many, many years, once again showing up in 2022. So combine that with the establishment survey doing whatever it's doing for reasons that it has. Now we have the unemployment rate doing the same thing that we saw a couple of years ago. Both of those statistics have been misleading in the past. And given what we see in markets, given what we see in other labor data, like, like Steve was saying, jobless claims, the household survey, everything else, it's very likely that the unemployment rate plus the establishment survey are once again being misleading. They're the outliers that are usually the outliers in these circumstances. 